At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? Uh, this morning, we're going to just dive right into the Word. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Uh, Matthew chapter 24. And this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 36 through 51. Uh, 36 through 51. Uh, and as we look at this this morning, we're going to be uh, asking a question that I want you to ponder. And the question that you need to ask yourself today is, are you ready? Are you ready? And this is the question that Jesus is going to be asking the disciples and us today is, are you ready? Uh, Harry Houdini. Harry Houdini was one of the greatest magicians of all time. He was an escape artist who continually defied death. Harry Houdini did things such as bury himself alive under six feet of dirt and barely escape before he suffocated. He would wrap himself in chains and put himself in chest and, and cover himself in water where he nearly escaped death. Time and again, Harry Houdini did the impossible and defied death over and over and over again, which makes the circumstances of how he actually died so strange. You see, also part of Harry Houdini's act was that he would have people come up on stage and he would have them punch him in the stomach as hard as they could. He would flex his abdominal muscles and he would allow them to punch him as hard as they could in the stomach and the blow would glance off and he would be just fine. Except for one day. One day a young college student came up to him and said, hey, I hear that you are able to take hard punches in the stomach. And Harry Houdini said, well, yes, I am. And before he could prepare himself, this young college student punched him in the stomach four times. Harry Houdini died a few weeks later here in Detroit of a ruptured appendix. Harry Houdini died because he wasn't ready. The man who had defied death his entire life was killed by a punch to the stomach that he was not prepared for. You see, if he would have known it was coming, he could have flexed his abs and he could have glanced that off of his stomach. But instead, it killed him. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he is asking them to get ready. Now, I want to remind you today kind of what we've been looking at in this series of what now? The question we're asking is how does what's going to be coming tomorrow shape our today? How does the return of Christ and Jesus coming, how does that shape how we live our daily lives? We join Jesus as he left the temple and he went down through the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives, which is where he does this teaching in Matthew 24 and 25. And he's teaching his disciples to be prepared, to be ready, because Jesus is coming. And we said at the beginning of this series, whether Jesus comes tomorrow, today, or 100 years from now, 
we are still called to the same thing, which is to make disciples of all nations and to glorify God in every area of our lives. So as we've looked at this text, we've learned that Jesus is calling us to prepare ourselves for eternity, to live our today in light of our eternity. So today we're in Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to be looking at verses 36 through 51. And we're going to be looking at two ways that we can get ourselves ready for the return of Christ. The first way is to be prepared the second way is that we will be faithful. Matthew 24, verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 36 is a shocking verse because we see within this text that Jesus is telling his disciples and us that no one knows the day or the hour of Jesus coming back. No one knows the day or the hour of Jesus coming back. And he doesn't just state it. He goes so far as to say even the angels of heaven do not know the day or the hour that Jesus is going to return. But it goes one step further. Nor the Son. Jesus Christ himself in his incarnation, in his fully God and fully madness, does not know the day or the hour in which he will return. There is only one who knows, and that is the Father himself. So no one knows the day or the hour. So the question is, should we spend our efforts and our time trying to predict continually when Jesus is going to come? Or should we take our time and our efforts and prepare ourselves because Jesus can come at any point and any time? Jesus goes further by giving an example of Noah from Genesis 6 through 9. And what he says within that is, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He says, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. Now, if we look at the events of what happened in the days of Noah, we have to look back at Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 8. What happens is God creates mankind in the Garden of Eden in all perfection, and everything is good. Yet man sins, and death enters into the world through sin. And slowly, corruption continues to happen within man until we reach a climax point in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, where God regrets that he has made human beings. The text reads this. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
If you wanted to say that there was wickedness ruling and reigning in the earth and the thoughts and intentions of a person were wicked and evil, there is no better way to say it than using these words. Every, only, continually. That means at all times. So what happens? Well, verse 6 says, The Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have recreated from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. God makes a declaration here that his judgment is going to pour out on the wicked and evilness of mankind. Because every inclination of man's heart was only evil continually. Yet in verse 8, we see a point of hope. But Noah, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's an interesting pattern that we see in Genesis chapter 6. We see depravity and wickedness entering into man, and man is evil, and every inclination of his heart is only evil all the time, and it leads to more and more corruption, and finally God says, judgment's going to come. Yet God has his elect. God has those whom he has set apart for himself. This idea of finding favor in God's eyes is the same idea as grace. God shows grace to Noah, not something he deserved, unmerited favor. God says, of all the people on the earth, I have chosen Noah to put my favor and my grace upon. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this is what he says to Noah. I will establish my covenant with you. You see, depravity and corruption happen, evil occurs, judgment will occur, but God has his elect whom he is going to save. And he is going to create a new creation with Noah. And we know what occurs. A worldwide flood happens. And God kills every living human being, every living animal besides those that are within the ark. But it's interesting to me because God is going to cause a worldwide flood to happen and he only tells one person and he tells Noah to prepare himself and build himself an ark. But I want you to observe something. Between the time where God decides to blot out man from the face of the earth until the flood actually starts to happen is nearly 100 years. 100 years of Noah preparing himself. 100 years of Noah and his family building an ark in the middle of a desert. It is most likely that these people didn't even know what rain was because Genesis 2 says that the land was watered by a mist that came up from the ground. So Noah looks like a madman in the middle of the desert saying, listen, God's going to flood the whole earth with rain. And they're like, what is rain? And in a hundred years, Noah faithfully prepares himself without seeing one drop of God's fulfillment of his promise. Now think about it. I think we think about these times as small time periods. This is 100 years. This is the lifespan 
of the majority of people, longer than the lifespan of the majority of people. 100 years. Now imagine, he's living with these wicked, evil, wretched people whose inclination of their hearts were only evil continually. Imagine the things they said to Noah as he prepared himself for the coming of Christ. Imagine the way Noah was made fun of as he built a gigantic ship in the middle of the desert for rain that would one day come. Yet he trusted in the promise of the judgment of God that would fall upon mankind, and he prepared himself. We, like Noah, if you are in Christ, are the chosen people of God. God has shown his grace and favor upon you, and he has chosen to reveal to us that one day he will judge the earth. And we continually see throughout Scripture that man is depraved and dark-hearted in mind. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. No one does good. Not even one. There is none who is righteous. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And one day the judgment of God is going to rain down upon the wickedness of human beings. And God has chosen to reveal this judgment, this coming judgment, to his people. There's a large percentage of the world, if you go out today and start talking to them about the return of Jesus Christ, they'll be like, what, what are you even talking about? See, we like Noah are his chosen, favored ones, whom he has chosen to reveal that his judgment is coming. So the question we must ask is, are you ready? Are you ready for his return? You know, as we think about this idea of Noah and the judgment coming upon mankind and they're absolutely wiped out, it should be sobering to us. It should cause us to realize that when God comes back, he is not playing around. The first time he came to save, the next time he will come to judge and rule. Yet there is a time between when he came to save and when he resurrected of grace where God, it says in scripture, is withholding his wrath. It's like he's standing there withholding a, a waterfall of wrath from falling down upon people in which people can turn to him and surrender their lives to him. You see, there's two different ways to view the return of Christ in preparing ourselves. There's one way to view it for the unbeliever who doesn't know Jesus, who've never surrendered your life to Christ. That should be terror. You should be terrified for the return of Jesus Christ because you will be judged. Yet there's good news. There's good news. The good news is that's not today. The good news is, is that you still have today. And you can repent of your sins, turn to Jesus and say, God, I give you my life. You see, with the Bible, we either believe it's true or we don't. 
I mean, those are the two ways to go. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is God, that he did die on a cross, that we can be forgiven of our sins, and that he is going to return to judge sin and wickedness. Yet, we have this grace that we can, we can surrender our life to Jesus and come to him. And then for the Christian, the return of Christ is different. For the Christian, the return of Christ is a glorious day. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, amen? amen. One day he will return for the Christian. They say hallelujah, praise the Lord. Because Christ will come to receive his bride. The return of Christ will be like a beautiful wedding day. He will receive his church, the elect, those whom he's called out from the rest of the world. And it will be the greatest day in human history for those who've surrendered their lives to Jesus. Amen? Amen. But if you have not, then it will be the most terrifying, horrific day ever. So surrender your life to Jesus today if you do not know him. Then the Christian, we must ask ourselves, are we preparing for the judgment of Christ? Because it will come at any time. Jesus continues and he gives a few examples in verse 40. It says, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, stay awake for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. We see people going about their daily business. Two guys who are out in the field. One is gone. The other's left. Two women who are grinding at the mill, which was a very normal activity. One is gone. The other's left. There's two different explanations. Some say that the one was taken off into judgment. Some say that one was taken off into glory. But either way, one is taken. One is left. One is with Christ. One is judged. And the whole point of this is that Jesus is going to come at a point that we don't know. He's going to come when we're going about our daily activities. He's going to come when you're in the grocery store. He's going to come when you're in your staff meetings. He's going to come when you're finishing the electrical work on the house. He's going to come when you're constructing that new build. He's going to come when you're in real estate negotiations. He's going to come at a point that we don't even know, so we must prepare ourselves. He will come at a time that is unexpected. He gives another example. And he calls us to be prepared as one waiting for a thief in the night. Verse 43. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, also, you must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So let me ask you a question. If you knew that tonight there was going to be a thief who was going to come into your home, and you knew what time at night he was going to be coming into your home, would you treat this evening as normal? Would you tuck your kiddos into bed and maybe check and see if the door is locked? Uh, you might just get in, into your bed and cover up with your blanket and sleep all soundly. Is that, is that how you do it? No way! You're sending the family away, right guys? You're getting out that gun, you know the one. The highest caliber one in your house. You're, you're pulling out that arsenal you've been preparing for this moment your entire life. 
you're bringing it over. You're, you're putting the chair in front of the door and you're like, all right, I'm ready for you. Don't come in my house. You prepare, you don't treat it just like any other night. You ready yourself. Yet the Bible says that Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. Listen to what it says here in 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5, verses 2 through 11. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will happen. It will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Every woman who's ever experienced this can understand that labor pains come just like that, unexpectedly, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness. This is talking to Christians. You need to understand this. See, God has chosen to reveal his plan and what is going to occur in history, in, in the future, to his people. You are not in darkness, brothers, that day, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope for salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, amen? amen. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We as Christians know that Christ is going to return. And it will come in a day or an hour we do not expect, but we know that it is going to happen and we can be preparing ourselves right now for the return of Christ. <laughs> And we can build each other up with this knowledge. Whenever it gets the worst that it can be on this earth, we can know that Christ is going to return. I heard it once said that the closest to heaven an unbeliever will ever get is to this earth. And the closest to hell a believer will ever get is to this earth. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is the best you will ever have. If you, if you do not surrender your life to Jesus, you will die. You will enter into eternal torment and conscious torment for the rest of your eternity. If you know Christ, you will be freed of the bondage of this flesh. Every tear will be wiped away from your eye and death will be no more. You will be with Christ forever. It will be a gigantic worship service in absolute and all perfection, proclaiming the beauty and majesty of our Lord and Savior. For we were not destined for his wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we get ready? Being alert spiritually, reading and studying God's word, knowing what it says, and then living that out. Praying and ask God, prepare us to be a people that are ready for his return. We need to do two things. 
We need to look for his return and live for his return. We must look for his return and anticipate it. That doesn't mean we need to predict it. It means we need to anticipate it. Spending our efforts investing in this life right now in order to look and say eternity is coming. We need to look for it. And we need to live for it. Living for it. That means living according to the scriptures as a holy person called out by God and not living like the rest of the world. The world is going to continually get more and more wicked until the return of Christ. We see the pattern in Genesis. Depravity and wickedness rule, corruption reigns, and the person of God is an oddity and is different and is set apart. Yet, who was right? Who was right? Noah was right. And everyone else was dead. Those are the stakes at the return of Christ. So we need to look for his return. We need to live for his return. We need to be like watchmen in the military. Commentator J.C. Ryle says it this way. True, true Christians ought to live like watchmen. The day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. They should strive to be always on their guard. They should behave like the sentinel of an army in an enemy's land. They should resolve by God's grace not to sleep at their post. Now I was wondering, I was looking to see what different militaries did when people fell asleep at their posts. And I found one of these in the military law, the manual of military law in New Zealand that says this. A sentinel found asleep or drunk at his post while on active service, if the character and circumstances of the offense were sufficiently grave, will be liable to suffer death. We must keep watch. We must be aware. And as watchmen, we need to warn others of the return of Jesus Christ, that God is going to return. We must be prepared. The second thing we're called to is to be faithful. Look at verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them food at the proper time? So Jesus is saying, who is that faithful and wise servant? And obviously this question is going to come to your mind when Jesus says he's going to return and to prepare yourselves, that it's not going to happen in a day or an hour that we know and that we need to prepare. So Jesus is going to tell us who that faithful and wise servant is. Verse 46, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know. And listen to this. This is the Bible. Jesus is saying this. He will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we see two different servants represented here, a faithful servant and an abusive servant. The faithful servant is the one who feeds the other servants at the proper time. Now, it doesn't directly say this here, but I think we can pull out of this that this would re to the calling that we have in Christ to make disciples. 
feeding the other servants. We see in Scripture continually the Word of God is called bread. It is called meat. And we think about this idea of nourishment. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So what does this faithfulness look like? Well, for the elder, this looks like preaching the Word of God and the gathered assembly together. For the life group leader, this looks like leading your life groups in the word of God, faithfully teaching them to obey everything Christ has commanded us. Jesus said in his last words, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The baptizing, that shows the conversion, that shows the gospel going forth, that shows people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. The second part, that's the deeper steps of discipleship, teaching them to obey everything Christ has commanded us. As those who serve in kids' ministry, we're called to preach the word to those kids and teach them how to prepare themselves to live in this world that we're coming into. More than ever, as the world tries to pull us away from God and pull us away from the word of God and the ways of God, we must establish our children in the word and ways of God. Hitler said one time, Give me a child until he is seven and I will have that man. We are establishing the next generation right now. Look at the influence that our next generation is having in our culture with this cancel culture stuff. They're just canceling people. That is the next generation. There needs to be another generation raised up after them that will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. It's interesting because we continually see that in Europe and in different countries, people are waiting longer and longer and longer and longer and longer to have children. The average person doesn't even have one child now. The thoughts of secularism is going to, to weed out just basically based on attrition of having babies or not. We're called to raise up the next generation. We're called to multiply and fill the earth. We are called to raise up the next generation for Christ and to take over, to see revival happen, to see Christ honored as king, to stand firm in the midst of the struggles and the trials. The faithful servant is the one who feeds the other servants at the right time. Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I love you. What's he say to him? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. The people of God are called the sheep of his pasture. Jesus views himself as the good shepherd. We are called to teach other Christians the word and to enter into discipleship and proclaim the word to the unbeliever. We're called to faithfulness. And it's interesting because this, this servant does not know when the master is going to return and the master comes back and he catches him doing what he's called to. 
Think about it for just a minute. Character is who you are when no one else is looking. Because in those moments is when our true character is revealed. When no one else is looking, do you pursue Christ? When no one else is looking, do you praise Jesus the way you do when others see you on a Sunday morning? When no one else is looking, what does your life look like? Because that's who you truly are. May those moments be submitted to Christ as much as the public moments are as we proclaim his name. And may the public moments be submitted to Christ as we proclaim his name. Because look at the warning that comes. It says there's going to be a servant who just ignores the master's coming and he starts beating the other servants and treating them horrifically even though they're both still servants. And it says that Jesus is going to judge that person. It says he's going to dismember them and throw them into eternal conscious torment forever. That's just what the Bible says. I'm just saying what the Bible says. And you may ask the question, how can the master do that to his servant? Well, look at what happens here. He's called a hypocrite. Now, this is the most heinous thing that you could call anyone in the book of Matthew. It means an actor in a play. What the servant has showed is through his actions that he is not truly a servant of the master. And through his actions and his fruit that he is not in the family of that master, nor does he love the master, nor his servants, and so he is cast out. The question I have for you today is, are you playing Christian? Are you playing Christian? Are you coming to church on Sunday morning because you know it's a good thing to do? Are you giving your tithe and your offering because your parents taught you to do so? Are you going to youth group because your parents make you or because you desire Christ? Did you pray a prayer when you were five or eight years old, but your life has looked nothing different? You look just like the rest of the world. You have no desire for God. You have no desire to pursue him. You have no desire to be with Christ, and you go to church because you're made to. You have not surrendered. You have not surrendered your life to Christ. There is no fruit in your life. So the question is, are you ready? You can surrender your life to Jesus today. You can be forgiven of your sins. Whatever happened in your past or whatever you've done in your past can be forgiven. And yes, as you think about that sin, that can be forgiven. Because the blood of Christ covers a multitude of sins. And in Christ, you're made a new creation. In Christ, you are born again as a new being. You have a new start. And you have a father who deeply loves you. Because it's not just about avoiding eternal punishment. It's about missing out on this deep loving relationship of the father God and being part of the family of Jesus Christ. So if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus today, you can do that in your seat right now. Say, God, I give you my life. I confess my sins before you. I believe that word is true. I want to prepare myself for your coming. I give my life to you today. It is yours. Guide me.
If you're an unbeliever and you gave your life to Jesus in that moment, please do not leave this place without grabbing somebody because the call of the church is then to disciple. For the believer, prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ. May we spend the next 100 years or 50 years of our lives preparing for the next million years of our eternity. When we look at the scope of things that way, this life sure does seem but a vapor, as the scripture calls it. And may we, with the words of John Edwards, be resolved. Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if I expected it would not be an hour before I should hear the last trump and Christ returning. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.